The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. A few short years ago, a New Zealand professional footballer had a dream for a shoe made out of wool and lots of listeners will have followed every step along the way. For many, that first moment might have been seeing a former All White fronting a Kickstarter project with a great overview video for a new merino wool shoe that you could wear without socks. From there, this Allbirds idea has grown and grown through the first signs that this little idea from New Zealand was getting worldwide notice, through to investment, great media notice, huge sales, and Allbirds stores opening up in the world's great retail areas. And now a store in Auckland. Although success can make things seem like it was a sure bet, it was, in the words of the founder and today's guest, a bad idea for a long time before it was a good one. To find out how bad ideas can turn into something quite wonderful, to chat the journey to here and to hear what's next, Allbirds founder Tim Brown joins us now. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much for that kind welcome. Hey, how exciting to have you here. Um, Tell me first about how that idea began for you. On the pitches while you were a professional footballer. Yeah, well, not so much on the pitch, maybe off the pitch. I was back in Wellington playing for the, the Phoenix at the time, um, living a, a, a dream of, of getting paid for kicking a ball around. And one of the great things about that lifestyle was getting lots of free gear from one of the major sportswear companies that shall not be named. And saw an, an opportunity or a problem in my life around really simply designed shoes and so set out to try and solve that. And your first push at that was a different shoe company altogether, wasn't it, called To Be? Yeah, it was, it was a design insight initially. And so I, I, I found a footwear factory online, visited in my off-season, and started making shoes, really, really simple sneakers that I sold to my teammates um, who, and, and a few other people, but not many. It was very, very tiny. It was a curiosity project at the time. Yeah, I remember seeing that pop up, the lovely white shoes with the um, little blue kind of inset details. Yeah, it was, my, it was the first foray into to working out how to do it. And, and, and I realized along the way that the, the footwear industry was a huge one and was very old-fashioned in the way that it makes things and tends to default to making them out of pretty cheap stuff. And, uh, and that was where the idea that wool might be uh, a, a possibility for a material in shoes is, is silly as an idea that is maybe that sounds... Sort of happened, and what were your steps to go from thinking, 
wool's pretty abundant and it has good qualities for socks like maybe it's a good quality for a shoe or was it from like a hiking thing or what led you there to wool i um i remember reading i want to say it was like north and south or like a metro article one day um and it was talking about the decline of the wool industry and how it was it was lacking in innovation and it talked about um some research grants that were going on trying to imagine new uses for wool and and we threw, with the help of a friend at the time, threw a hat in the ring with an application grant to sort of make a material that could be used in footwear. And um, much to our surprise, uh, it was successful. And this thing just dragged on, though. It went on for years, it kind of to the point where you'd sort of forgotten about it. And I was playing football and there was a lot going on. And we were kind of trying really hard at that particular time to go to the World Cup. So, um, you know, it was just kind of one of those things you just kept chipping away at with the benefit in hindsight of a lot of time and, and not that much pressure to actually get it right. And from there, you you must have got the material going to a degree that you decided to put together the Kickstarter. Tell me about that. So uh, after the World Cup, I uh, realised that my football career was not going to get any better and uh, retired, uh, had my last professional game uh, with the Phoenix in about March of 2012. A loss away to the Perth glory that I barely think about anymore. <laughs> yeah, don't hold on to being undefeated no, at totally. the World Cup. Like, don't hold on to totally. that. Totally, I barely. No, and I didn't play particularly well, and I, uh, I barely think about that game. And uh, and then and then, but went off to to go to London to, uh, back to where I was born, actually, where my father and uh, you know had grown up, and where I was always wanted to go to to do business school and study all the subjects I kind of avoided um, thus far in my life, and. I had a little bit of shoemaking knowledge, which you've mentioned from that brand that I had a crack at starting and this woolen material that had been created. And I actually ran it through an entrepreneurship class, um, uh, you know, where I kind of was forced to sort of imagine this as a little bit more of a business proposition. And that Kickstarter, that was quite early on in the scheme of things of getting people to pay for your idea before you get started. Was that a marketing idea to get a whole bunch of people behind you or did you need the cash? No, it was, it was, so it was, this was, this is 2014. I'd come back for, for Christmas and my brother who had been a driving force and just sort of have a go at this and, uh, had, uh, had, had, had encouraged me to sort of shoot, shoot a, um, a video on a family friend's sheep farm in Pahadanui. It cost like a thousand bucks. And there'd been a professor coming out of that entrepreneurship class that had called me into his office and his name's Carter Cast and he was. CEO of Walmart.com had had this very successful business career and he sort of said, um, I don't think this is a good idea. I, I, I think shoes are too hard to make. Wool shoes, probably not going to work. Uh, throw it out on Kickstarter or something um, so it can fail and you can work out what you want to do and you, do with your life. And so this video uh, was a sort of a, an outlet for seeing if I could fail. <laughs> and it, it ended up kind of catching on and uh in four days when i came back to london we it went live in march of 2014 and in four days we had enough material for a thousand pairs of shoes and i think we had six sample pairs of shoes that we'd made in a factory in portugal at this time and they sold out in four days and i, I we had to shut the thing down and it was like oh my gosh here we go we're off and from that start i mean i imagine there's teething problems and all kinds of things when you go from a couple of samples to having to fulfill that kind of a uh, demand, but it looks from the outside like you scaled up really fast. So from quite a modest attempt on Kickstarter, and then a few years later through the partnership with Joey Zwillinger, 
uh, getting up to kind of big investment and bigger scale really quickly. Yeah, I mean, it didn't feel like that at the time living through it. I had a, a kind of a year in London trying to d- deliver on, you know, the, the Kickstarter campaign and, and ship those thousand pairs around the world and, and made sort of every mistake on the book, although we ultimately got it across the line and and then kind of just really was over it. And uh, and Joey had been, you know, uh, a sort of a, a friend, uh, the, the husband of, of my wife's roommate at university actually, and uh, we'd known each other through on the wedding circuit and different things. And, um, I, you know, I rang him up for some advice one day and ultimately ended up kind of on a whim jumping on a plane to San Francisco where he was based to sort of deeply immerse ourselves in, in the idea of the business and what it might look like to work together. And it kind of happened really, really quickly. And, um, and you know, and, and in Joey, uh, we sort of found the purpose of the whole business. So there was a there was a design insight and there was a comfort uh, insight with wool and then there was this sort of this idea of of a purpose around sustainability and it came from his background and his experience and it was sort of the moment I, I sort of feel like where all birds was born and and we raised a couple of million dollars and launched the business on the first of March 2016. How did you get that enormous producer of wool products to make you this uh, this footwear product because it's. It's a real innovation in the space, isn't it? Because one of the reasons no one had done wool sneakers before is because you kind of couldn't. Well, there's a bunch of parts to it. So there's the material innovation itself, which was, again, another sort of serendipitous thing and ultimately resulted in an introduction to this incredible mill in Italy that was 150, year old, uh, 150 years old and owned a bunch of New Zealand farms. And we worked closely with them to sort of innovate and develop this material, the second generation of it, um, past the, outside of the initial grant. And, and then the second bit was, you know, finding a, a world-class factory. And we ultimately landed on that in Busan, South Korea. Um, traditionally, uh, footwear has sort of chased the lowest dollar um, because of how labor-intensive it is. So Korea was going back upstream to higher quality, higher, a higher dollar amount, but uh, a larger mine, sh- mine share of a smaller factory rather than going to the very big ones in China or in other parts of the world and also leveraging the free trade agreement um, that uh, existed certainly at the time that I walked into this room and may not be there anymore <laughs> uh, between Korea and the States and uh, New Zealand and and, um, and Korea. And that's, those are the two markets that we launched. So we kind of mitigate some of the extra cost. And it was a really, really smart decision because it allowed us to sort of make really great products out of the gate. And getting those products out there, like I know you've, you, you had some you know really great success in your previous uh, career as a professional sportsman playing for the All Whites, you know, undefeated at the World Cup and stuff. But was it still a real buzz to find out, like, Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to invest? Or when you see some of the people wearing the shoes who have worn the shoes? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the journey has, has, has just been, you know, have so many, have had so many sort of pinch me moments. And uh, going down to LA and, 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 and spending some time with Leo, if I could call him that, um, you know, you forget that that guy um, was sort of speaking about the environment and concerns about the way we made stuff back in the early 90s, long before it was the topical issue that it is now. And um, and he f- he found the product and he was super curious and he wanted to know all about it. And you sort of sit in there going, this is, uh, you're a long way from home. Um, but it's been, it's been cool. There's been lots of those moments. How did you first get the shoes onto the kind of people uh, that it's now famous for being on? So let's say like, the founder of Google. Oh yeah, Barack Obama. Um, you know, it's 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 honestly been the most random stories where they've found the product or we've gifted it to someone that we've randomly met who's given it to them and they've fallen in love with it. All of that is organic. None of it's been planned, and uh, except that we, you know, 
we've uh, you know we've we've given product to certain people in, in, in a lot of different moments and um, yeah there's, it's just been crazy and you couldn't have written that script uh, you couldn't have planned for it and uh, you know I think it's just been this sort of uh, incredible journey over the last sort of three and a half years um, to sort of where we are now the Time magazine accolade calling them the most comfortable shoes in the world which has had great uh, goodness made out of it in all of the marketing and stories since. How did that come about? Uh, so uh, a big part of the plan launching the business was, uh, you know, was to, to tell our story in, 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 uh, through PR. And uh, I flew to New York and I did, I mean, it must have been 25 what they kind of called desk sides where you go around meeting with anyone who will really meet with you to tell the story with the hope that they, they might get excited about what you're doing and write about it. And um, it sounds... Like it's easy, but it's it's really hard. And uh, I think it was probably the twenty fifth or twenty sixth of one of those. And um, Time Magazine uh, with a guy that literally was going out the door. Um, I can still remember the name of the journalist. And you know, told the story and 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 he tried the product and he liked it and he wrote this thing that sort of became uh, at, at at the time this sort of like validation uh, for what we were doing in, in such a in such a cool way and. You know, sometimes you don't know when those little moments, those little inflection points, are going to come. Oftentimes, not until many, 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 many months or years later. But that was it was a, that was a moment for us, and it happened in the first week, and it was, it was it was a good one. There's something about the way that you've grown the company, which I really love, and that it's about a process of refinement. Yep. And that you know, lots of people grow by maybe they have a shoe and then they make another fifty styles and they keep kind of changing. But you've had a very similar model. You know, lots of refinements along the way. And kind of built on that instead. Tell, tell me about that process. You know, tr- traditionally in footwear, you'll, you'll have version one, version two, version three, and um, and you'll have a seasonal range, and, and you'll have more than one style. You have lots of them, and, and they change all the time. And uh, ours has been about one style and, and a kind of a, a, an application of continuous improvement, whether that be through design, updates, style, tweaking the form slightly, or whether it be more sustainable materials that we've found and we've inserted into the product. Um, whenever we've found it, we don't have to wait. We're not, you know, we're not. There's no wholesalers or anyone in between the relationship with the customer, so we're able to inject that in real time, and uh, and then comfort as well. So as we've improved the, our knowledge of how to engineer shoes, and there's been something like 30 plus changes to the Wool Runner, our first style since we launched it, and there's only ever been one version. Um, so it's 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 a different type of approach, and you know that that just sort of relentless execution or pursuit of this form and this experience has been sort of uh, easy to say, much much harder to do, but it's 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 quite different than traditional footwear and how, it, how the the approach to it. And even in terms of like route to market and stuff, is you know online's always been such a big part of it. Um, things like thirty day money back guarantee if you don't like them. Which uh, how many people take you up on that? Yeah, good, like a decent amount. And I mean, I I think it's all about hey, we believe in our product. We 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 think it's great. If you don't like it. You know, um, that's that's completely fine. And uh, but try it, and uh, and and it's just sort of really thinking through that customer journey and all the little touch points, and how can you how can you make that um, simple and easy, and and uh, how can you bring a sense of humour to it, and think about the packaging and every aspect of 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 of, of, of how someone might buy a shoe and experience your product. And we tried to do that from the beginning, and I think the attention to those details is super important when you're building a brand. And when you go into traditional retail, like uh, bricks and mortar on the, on the storefront, 
quite an interesting flip to be going in there with such a limited product range. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was walking around Soho, um, mm-hmm. meeting Venn clients over there. And all these stores, you know, the big name stores were all empty, except for the Allbirds store there that had a line out the door. Yeah, it's, um, you know, retail was always a part, a part of the strat- a strategy, like direct to consumer if you're familiar with that terminology, often gets conflated with just e-commerce or online, uh, but it's actually about a direct relationship with the customer. And um, so the ability to, to build stores, people, we, we knew people loved trying on shoes. Um, we knew that uh, people wanted to sort of learn more about the brand. They wanted to ask questions. We knew there'd be lower return rates in store. We knew that um, it, was, it, it could also be a, a sort of a marketing expense and a marketing vehicle. Um, and we're interested in sort of the interplay between online and offline business and what that might mean. And and, and so I, I think it's our 10th store is just open in, in Brutamart now. And um, there's a couple in China and, and Covent Garden in London. And we're really excited about the potential of, of what, that, what that kind of format can be. And we thought a lot about it from a design point of view in terms of how that experience could be, could be done in, a, in the right way. And I imagine kind of along the way also proving out the model so that you can then push larger and, and push bigger. T- tell me about how you've actually gone out and... Uh, attracted from, I mean, it's just been reported. We don't have the the real numbers on it, but some really big valuations on some quite small chunks of your company changing hands to then give you this platform to be able to grow so hard. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, particularly in San Francisco, uh, you know, people um, congratulate you when you've raised money, and that's not actually the time you, you should be celebrating. You've, it's like you've just taken a mortgage out on your house. You don't actually. Uh, own, own anything there. That's when the when the when the pressure of expectation has come. Someone's backed your idea, uh, and the the promise of execution, and now you've got to go do it. And fortunately, we've we've sort of raised money from some great people that really backed us to build something over the long term. But also, we've done it. Uh, you know, we've run the business profitably from the beginning, and we've all, always been able to fortunately sort of raise money on our terms when we've needed it. When there's been a really strong reason why we wanted to invest more in retail, or we believe that uh, there was a customer. In China, that was the same that was, that was then in, in the states that could care about what we were doing and maybe needed our product. So there was always a reason, and I think it's been helpful and it's allowed us, I think, to to do that, um, you know, really selectively with really really great people. Tell me about the other products that you're moving into after having been so focused on on shoes. Yeah, socks. So we launched socks, and uh, you know uh, we've been working on them for sort of something around eighteen months, maybe a bit longer. Some would say too long. Engineering socks from the yarn up with a with a uh, uh, which you don't normally do. Normally you just sort of kind of white label this thing and don't think too much about it. Put your brand on it. Um, we're a material kind of innovation company, I think. If if if, if anything, so we looked deeply at the materials and imagined that there was a, a different type of sock that might be better, and um, and so we set out to do that, and uh, that launched uh, yesterday, and it was it's gone really well. So uh, yeah, socks, yeah, <laughs> I know like a lot about it. It's sort of it ends up it's it's one of those things that's really hard to do to make really well. So what would be next for you? Um, y- y- I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm just not going to Go tell on. you. We won't tell you. No, I know. Yeah, um, but, but except to say that we're attracting sort of uh, really world class design talent and um, material experts and um, a bunch of sort of infrastructure that we never had. So it's exciting because we've done this always on the smell of an oily rag, and now we're actually sort of picking our head up and imagining sort of what we could make and, and who best to do that with, with a bunch of different resources that we never had before. And I think I think the second thing is, all birds was was wasn't about footwear and it wasn't about wool so the it's 
we've acted really small and have only just a handful of, of styles that we sell, but we've always imagined all birds would be, be something bigger. So, um, so that's a, a long non-answer to your, to your question, except, <laughs> except to say that I've, I feel really excited about the stuff that's, that's coming down the, the pipe. It's been really cool, you know, as a, as a follower from back here watching, to see the way that you've all upskilled so much, like yeah, yeah. Um, yourselves and also like seeing Toby Morris's cartoons on the totally. world stage and seeing Jamie McClellan's work and like r- really cool to see that, that growth journey there. What kind of mindset changes does it take to come from, you know, a New Zealand scale small selling shoes to your mates to, to operating in, in this like kind of league? Oh, I think there's, there's been a, a lot of education. I mean, I feel like going into San Francisco, you're forced to imagine the sort of success that, you're told in New Zealand not to think about, you know, to maybe suppress. <laughs> and you're forced to imagine things at scale and, you, and you're forced to back yourself. So what if this went right versus what if it went wrong? And, and I think that's allowed us to make sort of supply chain decisions so that if, you know, if this did take off, we were, we were the right type of people that could make lots more of our product than just a few. And, and so that, 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 that idea of imagining success, I think, is sort of something that's definitely I, I've had to learn. I think... Um, you have this, and it's a, it's a little bit of a cliche, but you know the kind of Kiwi mentality of kind of wanting to just sort of muck in and we'll work it out, um, which is super healthy and so positive, versus the alternative, which is uh, actually I don't know how to do that, so let's go find the best person in the world to talk to to get guidance and advice and really be like the sort of network learner, and to borrow my co-founder's words in terms of um, how we can kind of really really soak up the best knowledge, um, and then either choose to use it or not but ultimately be a student of all these things we don't know and then that sort of translated into hiring I think Joe and I have been really really honest and upfront about the one or two things we did we did really well and then a bunch a bunch of things we didn't and then hired uh, way 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 ahead of the curve uh, with people that we could learn from um, and that takes a certain amount of confidence to kind of to, to sort of get really really senior people in early and we've done that successfully. It must take quite a team to do things that have never been done before in terms of uh, the materials that you're bringing in uh, through the the jandals, through the um, the tree derived shoes and the like. Yeah, it's really the stuff's hard. I mean, we, we you know we, we we're trying to which we're, we're trying to to sort of in the case of a sole material, um, you know, traditionally EVA is one of the most commonly used materials in footwear. Could you could you make that out of out of uh, natural materials, sustainable materials, and we found a way to do that with the byproduct of the production of ethanol, sugarcane, uh, from Brazil and uh, but we we had to we, we imagined that um, when we had six people, uh, we had to approach a big big corporate company in Brazil that you know is notoriously slow moving, and we had our first intern at the time mock up a cover of the Wall Street Journal, uh, imagining what this story might mean for the world if these guys did this, and and sort of said don't do it for us, do it for the entire industry, and we'll make this available, we'll make this open source and available to everyone, and uh, they did it, and they moved super quickly, and you know so it was, there's a certain amount of kind of you know, kind of confidence that you can go and try and make that make, make that happen, um, and and always imagining sort of this as as being really su- successful, I think, has helped us. And then it's also allowed us to act really, really small and sort of moving towards some of the things we want to do. That's so cool, and has echoes of uh, the Phil Knight shoe dog story about the way that they cut down the formaldehyde and then open sourced that technology. Totally. And then the, the Wall Street Journal, this poor intern, because you know when the illustrations on the Wall Street Journal, they have all those little dots and it's like super hard to do. So this poor guy was just, and then he had to print it out and he had to make it look like a newspaper. We really went into it. But look, it ended up being the New York Times and, and that story actually happened and we managed to make that uh, work. And uh, and now there's north of 100 companies globally using this material and 
yeah, it's, it's a different way of, of thinking about things. And we did that not just because it's good for the environment, we're good guys, but because the more people use it would drive the cost down. So, you know, I think that's the really interesting sort of um, uh, the, the idea of sort of the intersection of purpose and profit and, the, you know, and, a, and a really positive and interesting conversation on the topic of sustainability. And thinking big and small, and uh, from watching again from the outside, things like the cool collabs that you did with like um, Supreme Coffee and the like, and then you see it then at another level with Shake Shack. Yeah, I mean, who 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 are the people in the brands, you know, and just more broadly that you can that that share that are looking at the world in the same way that you can, who you know who you can learn from. I think that being said, like when you know we get asked about this a lot, I think one of one of the things we've been really successful. Uh, about doing is saying no to 95% of the opportunities and the meetings and the things like that come across our table because I think in, in some ways it's it's much, much easier to, to, to understand what you're not uh, and that clarity of focus so you can kind of do one or two things really, really well I think is very important in the early stages of a business um, and it's there's so many sort of like temptations and distractions and opportunities so you've got to be very, very selective with where you sort of deploy your time and, and what you associate your brand with. And that focus, I imagine a lot of people said no to you along the way, that it couldn't work, that it couldn't be done, that you were bananas to try it. How do you filter out the useful stuff within experts telling you things don't work from the stuff that means that you're able to still get out there and make it happen? Yeah, I do. look, it's the, it's the million-dollar question. I, you know, uh, If you're not listening to feedback, you, you're dumb. You should be soliciting advice on whatever you're doing. If you're listening to all of it, uh, you, you're even dumber. And we're developing a sort of a sense for, for sort of who to ignore and who not to. And the number of different people that we spoke to that knew and far more than Joey and I about making shoes or about the wool industry and what could or couldn't be, do- couldn't be done was, were numerous. And you have to sort of, you have to have the courage to sort of back yourself. And, you know, we, we launched one style of shoe. And, you know, the lead times on the development of shoes, there wasn't going to be a second chance on that. Like people were going to like that or well, they weren't. And, uh, I mean, we, we sort of thought, hey, we, we really believe in what we're doing here. We're going to back ourselves and, and have the courage to have a point of view. And, and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, you need to be okay with that versus sort of let's make 27 things and just sort of spread our risk and dilute the quality of what we're doing. We had the courage of our convictions, and I'm, I'm really proud, on, proud of that looking back. What's been a hard moment and what's been a highlight? Uh, you know, um, going back to my sporting days, sometimes uh, you, you're you're winning, you're winning games, um, but you're actually losing, and and vice versa. Sometimes uh, things are not going right. But you're just playing really, really well, and we've had probably our darkest moments when, from the surface, from the outside, it's looked really, really good. And uh, you know, jo- Joey and I in particular had had one sort of you know big dark moment where we were just we just sort of hadn't really kind of got into a rhythm in terms of how we were working and it came about two months after we'd launched when we'd just been working really really hard and and we just didn't we just weren't in sync and that was really really hard it was really difficult uh when you're not you know when you're not perfectly in sync with the person you're building this with it it's really tough um and then you know and then you have all these sort of like really good moments like last night when we had the opening party for uh for the store in Auckland that we've been been planning and trying to make happen for a long time and you see all your friends and family and you step back and you go this is this is really special and uh you know we've kind of come full circle here and uh finding a way to sort of make sure you you, you keep you keep pushing because I think when you're running and building a business you're sort of always worrying about stuff all the time to, to step back and say hey yeah this is this is good we're having we're having fun here this is good so what advice do you have for people who want to make something happen 
in the face of a world that says nah <laughs> don't do it don't um you, i don't know i um i feel like that's just like such well trodden ground lots of people talking about it i i feel i feel like a couple of things i feel like the, this cult of entrepreneurship is is talked about a lot um and um people want to believe in the myth of the overnight success that like there's some sort of silver bullet it's a really long hard road so if you're going to pick something do something that you you feel strongly about and you enjoy and um, and realize, you know, and it, and it, it's, um, it's not for everyone. Um, and, you know, just sort of, sort of be really thoughtful about, about going for it. That being said, the challenge of building something is so difficult, um, that the back end is so rewarding and, um, you know, I'm the people that you meet and the, if you commit to this thing, it can, it can be really, really joyful. And I don't think there's anything better than, than, um, than being in a position where you, you you can you can you can do something meaningful and do it with, and this is the best bit: do it with people you really really like. Ah, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much, Tim Brown, co-founder at Allbirds, for sharing your story today. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you to Alice Wigliddell for producing. Thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Uh, if you are a fan and follower of the spin-off, make sure you check out the spin-off members, uh, a program where you're able to get behind and support and choose and shape the investigative journalism that the spin-off provides. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.